Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the tech industry. Once again, unfortunately, it keeps coming up on Punching Out because I think in part because a lot of our media consumption comes through like the remnants of Twitter and uh, alternatives to Twitter nowadays. And so there's a bit of a tech bias in uh, the news we consume, but also because the industry is for the past decade or so really been at the forefront of um, quote unquote innovation and really represented new frontiers and how labor would be exploited and how, you know, companies would seek to wring out a dollar from some nonsense. But it turns out that the tech industry has fallen upon hard times or at least comparative hard times. Gone are the days when you could play ping pong during your overlong lunch break and, you know, not really have to do anything at Google to earn your keep. Now it seems that the golden days are gone and layoffs have hit the tech industry. There is a new sense that we actually have to make a product here. We actually have to make money, which is somewhat new. I'm glad that we're already establishing the the tone of low sympathy with this industry, which I think is completely appropriate. Reading these articles, it's tough because these the 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 people that are interviewed, the people that have been laid off and so on are fellow workers and they certainly deserve better from their companies than the way they are being treated now. Unfortunately, it is very hard to sympathize with them when the first part of every article, even the ones that are also meant to portray them sympathetically, makes a point of mentioning things like free daycare, free fitness facilities, free food, and a number of other things the rest of us basically don't get like at all. And it's particularly interesting because these are things that I think on this show we've talked about how these are necessary parts to allow somebody to to be at their most productive. Spend their whole day working. Exactly. You know, that is, I, I was putting, I was still too positive. Thank you for correcting, course correcting on that one. So what's at fault for the sudden severity in the tech industry? Why has you know, the era of shorts to work and catered lunches gone away. Wait, they also took away shorts to work? Is anybody left working at these companies? (laughs) (laughs) What we see in media coverage of these recent layoffs at companies like um, Amazon and Google and Microsoft, I know Twitch, which is 
under the Amazon umbrella, had a bunch of layoffs recently, is almost two competing theories for why these companies have uh, let go a bunch of workers. On one hand, we have articles like this one in CNN in January by Catherine Thorbeck with the headline, the tech sector is pouring billions of dollars into AI, but it keeps laying off humans. And then on the other hand, we have something called ZERP, Zero Interest Rate Phenomenon. I'll be using the shortened version both for my own amusement and the sake of brevity. But these theories as to why companies are laying off workers don't seem to me and I think to either of you as equally valid. For sure, because one is a look at a phenomenon that uh, exposes things that we know to be true about human nature, which is uh, greed in that venture capitalists and, and people funding these tech organizations had basically a free spigot of money directed at them for about 10 years. And then all of a sudden it was turned off because we decided that inflation was too high post pandemic, peri pandemic and that we needed to make sure that everybody got laid off and wages were suppressed so that we could combat the inflation demon. We all know, by the way, that that was completely fabricated, that that didn't happen. Inflation happened because companies were very greedy and just started raising prices because they knew they could get away with it. We know that to be true. Nevertheless, inflation uh, or interest rates were increased. And on the other hand, you have that very sensible story about interest rates and venture capitalists trusting with this idea that humans are being laid off because of AI, which we have discussed at length is true, but not to the extent that it would need to be in order to be responsible for 200,000 layoffs last year. There, There's a bit of a boogeyman quality to yeah. AI and a lot of coverage, particularly when it's more mainstream coverage instead of from dedicated tech outlets like CNN, say what you will, you're not necessarily going to them for the latest in tech news and analysis. And so like this article gives plenty of good reasons why you shouldn't blame AI taking people's jobs for all these layoffs, but still can't quite seem to shake itself free from the notion that, oh, well, AI is taking all these people's jobs. It's sort of weirdly written. This is the same exonerative voice that is deployed when, you know, the, the, the culprit of something is police or the state of Israel. It, it's this idea that things just happen and who can know why they happen? And in this case, it's it's particularly interesting because the the culprit is is not AI. AI cannot take your job. AI does not yet have a seat on the board of directors of a company. It does have legal responsibility if you're a Canadian airline for the moment. That 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 was pretty funny. But other than that, it can't actually lay anybody off. It can be used as a tool to let them know they've been laid off. But it cannot actually hit the button that says this person's badge no longer works. But by blaming AI instead of tech CEOs, instead of 
Jerome Powell, who was remarkably open about the fact that he was trying to discipline workers by tamping down inflation via increasing interest rates. There comes a point at which, after literal years of supermarket chains bragging about increasing profits by charging people more, of tech companies just shoving it in our faces, how much they're able to do, basically because they keep getting money pumped into them by private equity groups and venture capitalists and whatnot. The fact that people still pretend that there is some kind of mysterious external cause for this and that it isn't just further ways to exploit and and reduce a workforce is people need to get it together. I'm tired of people believing any of this stuff. There is no reason to. The business press is lying to you. CEOs are lying to you. Jerome Powell is lying to you. They are all lying to you. So to take a step back and examine the mechanics at play here, over the past decade or so, you know, in the wake of the Great Recession and then, you know, in the early days of the pandemic, our federal government, our Treasury Department had a policy of zero or near zero interest rates. Basically, if you take out a loan, you only have to pay, you know, 0.25% interest when you pay that loan back. And the effect of this, in theory, is that, okay, people are going to spend more if they can't just store their cash in a bank account and get, you know, three, four percent back. You know, if it doesn't cost that much money to pay back a loan, you're going to take more risk. You're going to take out a loan for a project which maybe will have huge payoffs in the end, but might also blow up in your face. And perhaps no industry was more defined by those sorts of projects than the tech industry, an industry which was hugely funded by so-called venture capitalists who were willing to put, you know, seven-figure salaries towards 22-year-olds fresh out of Stanford with an idea for an app that could be described as the Uber for cheese or, you know, some sort of medical fraud. Either or, really. And so you had a huge number of startups and, you know, Cretans coming out of Y Combinator who, you know, were flush with cash. Why is also the question they should have been asking a lot more. (laughs) You know, these companies were flush with cash and weren't really expected to have a product to show for that cash, that investment. You know, if they were 10 years away from turning a profit, that was fine because, you know, whoever was funding them only had to pay, you know, 0.25% interest on the loan they had taken out. Famously, companies like Uber and uh, Spotify and even Amazon, you know, companies that were that struck it rich, made it big, were at the forefront of the tech industry, weren't actually turning a profit for most of the last decade. Uber only very recently achieved profitability, and it did so through 
price hikes and layoffs. And it's probably not a coincidence that it did so now that interest rates are above 4% and that, you know, the treasury department has specifically decided to make money more expensive. It's put up or shut up time for all of these companies. Yeah. Won't somebody think about the poor venture capitalists? My God, they're having to deal with 4% interest rates, but you try to get like a student loan or something, it's going to be 12%. So, you know, perspective yeah the the way it is very annoying to have to talk about this stuff because for a long time being overly concerned with what the federal reserve does was one of the major ways you could get labeled a crank in american politics but that was because the entire 20th century we were ruled by um, I believe this is a Matt Chrisman line I'm stealing, but men with crew cuts and pocket protectors or something like that. You know, guys who had engineering or finance degrees and all looked like Michael Douglas and falling down, you know, just, just one bad morning away from shotgunning the entire neighborhood they live in to death. And those guys did not have any problem with what the Federal Reserve was doing because it ultimately could have really hurt them. It might cost them a little bit more to run their business or to do certain things. But overall, they would still be able to get what they wanted done. They would still make money. They would still get rich. It wouldn't really be a problem. And now the Federal Reserve and the tech sector have taken advantage of creating an atmosphere where the only people that openly culturally hate them are also considered, you know, Luddites, right? They're considered uh, just just primitive by by the rest of, uh, by intelligent society to do whatever the hell they want. Tech has gone from strength to strength by inventing sillier and stupider products, crypto, NFT, generative AI, which it, I, I still don't understand why we continue using this term if you are not a proponent of it, because it's not. It, it's it's a trained model that spits out uh, – I saw somebody call it – I think H. Bomber guy on YouTube called it effectively a very advanced version of predictive text, which is what it is. The point being that we continue to allow this sector to do this. In a country that made sense, you would not have a sector of the economy increasingly devoted – to a product that doesn't really exist, is incredibly expensive to run, costs a huge amount in electricity and water, and is effectively making life and the planet worse so that, like, 20 have more money? Please use another adjective to describe those people. That was a noun, but I take your point. We are, it, it, is, it is destroying the planet, making, immiserating thousands of workers and the ones that it doesn't immiserate it allows their management to devalue them so that 20 of the just absolutely most irredeemable people in the country can get richer irredeemable is an adjective by the way (laughs) do you recall the episode we did i think it was last year where we discussed the phenomenon of tech companies hiring people to give them 
fake jobs just so that they would have them on hand and those people wouldn't go elsewhere. Oh, yes. I remember it very well. It, I, I bring it up because, you know, that really is the shift we've seen from an era where these companies could afford to have people just on hand so that they wouldn't go to the other company. They could pay them six-figure salaries to do make work. And now, as Business Insider puts it, the cushy big tech job is dead. Um, Quoting from this article, over the last 18 months, tech workers say it's felt difficult to stay employed as round after round of layoffs have swept big tech and the broader industry. According to layoffs.fyi, a site tracking reported tech layoffs, already more than 38,000 tech workers have been laid off in 2024 on top of the more than 260,000 people who got laid off last year. Such cuts were previously anathema in the modern tech industry, where tech workers were once treated as precious assets by tech companies that for years desperately wanted to attract and retain people with technical skills and grow headcount as one way to show Wall Street that business was thriving. They are now treated as, quote, lines on a spreadsheet, as put by the senior technical worker. God forbid. Yeah. That must be so hard. I have no idea what it's like being treated like that. And I bet neither of you do either. Yeah, absolutely foreign. Something else that's noted in these articles is that beyond just the ZERP going on throughout Silicon Valley, you did have a situation where during the pandemic and especially at the pandemic's height, tech companies were eager to hire because it was felt that like, Everything you do is going to be remote from now on. Everything is going to happen online. Zoom is going to be the next company that dominates the world. And Zoom is still around, but the need for them has proven to be less permanent than people thought in April of 2020. I I have a serious question about this. Did Zoom like, I don't know, like, fart in the wrong boardroom or something because they they seem specifically zoom seems to have annoyed everyone else into trying to into not just making people return to the office where managers can watch them and where things can be uh where, where they can be more controlled and real estate commercial real estate firms can get their cut of the pie as well but to hate the idea that you would ever do anything via video conferencing what did they do i mean genuinely i think it was all the security breaches they had where people could Good like point. drop porn into those. you know random public chats and so that was a, a really big concern and i think people really soured on on zoom plus the fact that they went to models where you had to buy some kind of subscription or, um, you know, business level, anything in order to get features out of it. So like I work remote now and I know my company uses zoom for our big, like company wide calls that we do on occasion, as opposed to teams or, or anything else. But like, that's the only application that I know of. Which, to be fair, uh, not not to defend Zoom, 
which has had some of the worst moments of my life on it. But at the same time, that's what every other tech company does. Why do they not get to do that too? Why are they the only ones? All these other ones have security breaches too. Passwords, emails, social security numbers, addresses are constantly ending up on the dark web, apparently. Things are, every other company is failing to make a product. Zoom at least was doing something that like enabled a certain mode of life that we were told was going to be the new normal. And uniquely, people hated for doing the same thing that every other tech company does. And we put up with it. No, masses of people are not quitting Spotify or Amazon Prime. Does this mean we get to talk about what tech has actually given us? Because I have some thoughts. I think that's we'll get too. to that later. But okay. I think the thing that you're touching on, Noah, like say what you will about Spotify and Amazon Prime, you don't use them at your job typically. And for a lot Says of people, Zoom is associated with you know annoying meetings and people whose faces and living rooms they don't really want to peer into and so like point it gets associated with all of the worst of work drudgery and also for some people with like a way to avoid that drudgery via like faking your background and you know goofing off while your camera is on but you know, for a lot of people, it's just the work app. And so it has the same connotations as Slack or Microsoft Teams, which people Very love. You know, people yeah. are <laughs> Absolutely. I love every day with Slack. I t-shirt. love every time it asks me to rate it and if I'm enjoying my experience. Um, that's very, that's a highlight of my day, to be honest. I can't wait until those prompts get AI-ified. And, and they start kind of trying to figure out what will make you respond to them. If it tries to like guilt you, you know, maternally, you never rate me anymore. That kind of thing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Good point. The funny outcome of the recent, you know, shifts in the tech industry is that you're seeing a lot of people, at least in these articles, sort of, recontextualize the careers they've been able to have over the last decade. This Business Insider article quotes a guy who says, honestly, sometimes lately I've thought my entire career is a ZERP, a tech worker recently (laughs) reflected. And we're supposed to take these people seriously? Sorry, interrupted. This Guardian article has this paragraph, uh, free sushi lunches, that's a ZERP phenomenon. Massive discounts for new users, ZERP phenomenon. Burning money on a metaverse, definite ZERP phenomenon. In Silicon Valley, it's even become a vaguely trendy insult. Your pal's not getting as many dates anymore. Maybe all those Tinder swipes were a ZERP phenomenon. I mean, they will be. I don't remember which article talks about this, Ryan. You you probably have this info more to hand than I do. But one of them talks about how you used to want your kid to be a doctor or a lawyer. And then it became software engineer because it was felt to be a more stable job that was equally remunerative and did not require the same amount of schooling. 
well, there was also a huge marketing push behind STEM uh-huh. jobs and uh-huh. you know, getting yes. these sorts of jobs. Mm-hmm. Precisely it- to so that Google and Microsoft could have a reliable pool of workers and they wouldn't have to hand out six-figure salaries to kids fresh out of college. That and also so that they didn't have to train workers by offloading the cost of doing that to schools, colleges, universities, what have you. The reason I bring it up is because this effort to convince gullible parents that uh, STEM was going to be always and forever the way of the future really for a long time if you mentioned this exact thing that is happening tech discovering that actually stem as you know this term of art that puts together all of these degrees but that always really just means learning the skills that make you an exploitable worker for a certain industry. Because we're not talking about research skills that allow you to, I don't know, plunge into the furthest reaches of space. We're not talking about math skills that allow you to discover new realms within topology or what have you. We're not talking about the kind of engineering that builds bridges We're talking about the kind of engineering that builds missiles. We're talking about the kind of science that makes pharmaceutical executives have fat pockets. And we're talking about the kind of mathematics and the kind of technology that serves places like Google and the NSA. Whenever you brought this up, you were told that that is a ridiculous way to view it for years. This is an experience I had multiple times when my workplace bit the stem bug real hard and The way we knew that that bubble was over was when we started focusing instead on character because we workplaces like mine started to see the ground shift a little bit in what colleges, universities, I'm still hinting at it. I still haven't said it. We're asking of our, um, of some of our personnel, shall we say. What sort of uh, job do you work where you have such insights into, you know, the future of college students? Say, well, you know, I'm in the service industry. Oh. <laughs> I think on that note, we should end this segment. And when we come back, we can talk about what the tech industry has to show for a decade of an unlimited money funnel behind it. Is it good? Probably. We'll find out. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Still hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. In our first segment today, we talked about what's become known as ZERP, a zero interest rate policy, zero interest rate phenomenon. I'm going to say ZERP a lot more just because it's fun to say. It's a fun word. I enjoy it. I, I assume that's a tech cousin of purple drink. <laughs> What do 90% of tech companies end up doing? Zerp. Which is... 
specifically, we've been talking about how low interest rates over the past decade led to speculation and some harebrained ideas from the tech industry, which now has to actually turn a profit with its companies. And so is maybe more grounded than it once was. It better be grounded. Electricity is a real danger in those companies. Okay. I think it would be good to spend a bit of time here remembering our favorite um, products of Zerp and, you know, companies who saw inflated valuations and expectations because they sure had a lot of money behind them. And obviously we're going to be the next big thing and revolutionize the way we do business. Lou, do you want to start us off with a name? Do you have a a first draft pick, so to speak? First draft. The drafted by Lou. Wow. That was terrible sentence. Anyways, Juicero. Remember them? That was fun. It was basically a very, very expensive pre-sun. Yeah, it was like a blender, but with much less functionality. You it was. Get... It didn't even blend. It squeezed. Yeah, mm. and it was, it a was incompetent at squeezing. Like you could do it better with your hands. <laughs> that was the funniest part of Juicero. That was so good. Yeah. <laughs> it was four hundred dollars to buy a a, a semi functional. As you put it, Lou, Capri Sun opener. With the second pick, the Michael Jordan to lose Sam Bowie. Nice. I'm going to I, be selecting Theranos. That's not loaded at all. <laughs> I forgot. The uh, company forgot that, that counts. I forgot that counts. Promised that it could detect cancer just with a simple blood test and had investment from figures such as Henry Kissinger and. Um, Anyways, that woman uh, is in jail now. Yes, she is. Who knows for how much longer? True. Noah, you're on the clock. Old friend of the show, WeWork. That was going to be my next pick. Absolutely. Absolutely haywire business model with two of the you know what? I'm glad that Adam and Rebecca Newman found each other because they are two of the weirdest people on planet Earth. And if they had ended up married with other people, four people would have been very unhappy. <laughs> Who else you got? You guys. Oh, man. I'm really struggling here. Yeah. I remember Google Glass. Okay. Are we doing startups or are we just doing tech stuff? Because those are two different things. But yes. I think they're related because Google Glass and same with like, what was that when Uber reinvented the bus? Uh, Uber Loop or whatever it was called. Yeah, something like that. Hyperloop. Yeah. Didn't they go under? That's different. That's different. No, but but didn't the the I wouldn't say they... company or something like that haven't they just shuttered at this point? Going under is their entire raise of yeah, debt. Yeah, I would say they've shuttered. They haven't really gone under. Anywhere. That's the problem. <laughs> 
Yeah, the Boring Company hasn't done anything ever. They opened one Hyperloop and it was crap, and that's it. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure that flamethrower is coming any day now. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, Google Glass, the Google Plus of augmented reality. <laughs> I I think we bring all of these up as examples of, you know, what unfettered investment into Silicon Valley brain children produced for us over the past decade, you know, with access to seemingly unlimited amounts of venture capital, these companies delivered for regular consumers. I mean, can you name a product that has really changed your life in the last 10 years? The iPhone obviously had a revolutionary impact on people's daily lives, but that was 15, 16 years ago at this point in the interim in the time since, what we've mostly seen are iterations on that model and some moonshot ideas that failed in spectacularly obvious ways. Yeah, or, or you know, I think we've talked before about this, like the idea of disruptors coming in and, and shaking up the existing ecosystem. Basically, all it does is like with Uber and Lyft and and taxi companies is basically all they did is just undercut everything until the existing models go out of business and then they just take over. Like that's not innovating. That's doing piracy, essentially. No, because piracy is actually cool. (laughs) My bad. But I take your point. One of the most infuriating constant aspects of dealing with these chowderheads over the past decade and a half when everybody wanted to be the new Steve Jobs was the fact that they continued to position themselves as a new kind of company. We work famously, we've made fun of on the show for many reasons, but one of them was that they pretended they were a tech company when they were landlords. That's what they actually were. They, they were landlords. They were commercial real estate. That's all they were. Speaking of which, wasn't there a company... There was a minor genius award we gave, if I remember correctly, to a company that disrupted bosses. They, they gave oh, you a gosh. boss. You were a freelancer. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure it's a sign of their success that I can't recall their name at this point. Exactly, yeah. If you knew their name, then, you know, clearly that's from advertising, which means they're not successful enough. Anyway, point being, they all pretended to be something different from what was there before. But there is no meaningful difference from the just wastes of creation and electricity and water and air that were all of Uber's top guys and, like, Richard Gere from Pretty Woman. These are corporate raiders. Just because they can, like use slightly different terms or because they have access to PowerPoint does not make them a fundamentally different kind of person. They are the exact same capitalist. You said it, brain children, emphasis on the children, which is what they emotionally are, that these corporate executives have always been. We know this because they are the same. They come from the same social class by and large as they always have. And if they don't, they are 
frankly, the dregs of humanity known as working class traders. That is who they are, and that is how they behave. This is not different. The difference is that because this was arcane to the majority of us, they could pretend that they represented a sea change in the economy. They did not. And on top of that, like the fact that all of these tech startups are being grown in the same environment, which is uh, profit-driven capital venture nonsense, means that actual innovation in areas that would help people either isn't being developed because it can't be monetized or being subverted in a way that will monetize that information. Like if you think about the the health industry and how many ways that that technology and and AI could actually help people and make, uh, you know, connecting your your data uh, to all the different doctors you have. So they actually have a clear picture of who you are as a patient. They can't really do that because of, well, one, existing laws, but two, the fact that nobody is going to do that unless they can make money off of you. So healthcare becomes increasingly profit motivated uh, to the point where, you know, venture capitalists are now buying hospitals so that they can uh, make money there. So you continue in any innovation that happens, you continue to be the product that is being sold. You just may not know about it. One of the sort of um, more odious trends of this past decade has been an unwillingness for companies to settle for just offering a good product at a reasonable rate of return. Everything has to have unlimited growth. Everything has to be not just a newspaper, but a brand that will envelop your life. It has to you know, it's not good enough to be the Chicago Sun-Times. You need to be something bigger. You need to be putting out 20% returns. This is very interesting that you say that because it wasn't the Sun-Times that that happened to. That happened no, to the it Tribune, was the Trib. Yes, I do believe, you know. I speak in generalities here. Our, our yes, most recent episode prior to this one was about layoffs in the media industry, which have all followed this story of, you know, even companies that were profitable weren't profitable enough for these moonshot artists, for these venture capitalists who swooped in and, you know, demanded 20% returns where a simple 5% simply wouldn't do. Right. That is an under-recognized part of all of this. All of these companies remain profitable. Sure, Uber, fair enough, right? They price hike, they laid off people, they cut corners to make themselves profitable. But you're never going to see Google or Amazon or Meta or Microsoft not turn a profit ever again, especially because we're handing them large parts of the country to treat like fiefdoms. These companies, by and large, are making money. They just aren't making enough of it. And again, in a country that made sense, if you openly just said that you want to focus on growing the business farther, that would get you a crowd of pitchforks outside your door. But we live in a country where we have been taught to worship wealth, 
and that whatever the the our nobility essentially does is correct and must be correct and we believe ourselves to be immune to that kind of of class uh stratification and so your elon's musk and your bill skates and so on we can laugh at them but they get to say and do whatever they want and by and large the population of the united states thinks they're right because again like there are there are teenagers at the school parking lot where I work showing up in Teslas. And I've been told that they're supposed to sniff out BS better than the adults in the building. Why is that happening? To respond to that very sober and serious analysis with something kind of flip. Uh-huh. Do you remember Quibi? Quibi was <laughs> Good times. I was just thinking about them the other day. I don't remember why. The metaverse. I I do remember Quibi, but only like ten minutes at a time. <laughs> the the other thing, the other, the other, and and really the model going forward, right? That we should be thinking about. I I I don't know if we should be considering this a startup, but remember Fire Festival. Hmm. Boy, incredible so times. Much innovation. That was proof that all of these people are, like, they couldn't reason their way out of a paper bag. All of these people got taken in by a very impressive pitch deck that apparently afterwards no one was willing to admit was completely full of crap. And I'm sure the three people currently talking to you on the radio could have all sniffed it out immediately because we are not used to throwing them out around huge amounts of money like it's nothing yeah and that's the thing is the amount of money that's being gambled in these like this is what it is essentially is gambling like it comes down to i'm going to spend billions of dollars on a hope and a dream in fairness i i think you really do have to have some sort of advanced degree to have foreseen that movie pass would not be a successful venture movie pass however did allow a lot of people to see a ton of movies for very little money so i think it's very possible to say whether it's good or not probably the best of the companies we've named if we're being honest they certainly did the most for the most people they yeah. they provided an actual product so of course they were killed oh hold on killed interesting Look, yeah. <laughs> we're too pure for this world you're not even catholic what are you talking about i missed <laughs> that joke because you just tried to steal valor from me <laughs> at the risk of going down an angle that we and punching out wouldn't really endorse in normal circumstances there was an article in the financial times that i found um kind of relevant to our circumstances here it's about uh zerp and everything it's written by Sheila bear last october and notes that <clears throat> free money can actually undermine growth by making an economy less efficient the more money costs, the more disciplined its allocation. If it's costless to borrow, money flows into all sorts of unproductive uses. For example, 
all the ones we've been, you know, gleefully reminiscing about these last 20 minutes. It flows into rampant speculation characterized by the crypto and meme stock crazes. Boy, we didn't mention crypto in that segment, did we? Hmm. Too obvious. There you go. It flows into zombie companies from indiscriminate investors seeking any decent yield. It harms competition by feeding industry concentrations. And so, like, obviously, our point here on punching out is not that, you know, these sorts of things are bad because they're harming economic growth. But it does dovetail nicely with the idea that all of this venture capital money went towards things that ultimately didn't benefit most people, didn't really make a difference in your daily life. And instead, as a society, we had better ways of using those resources if only we could have directed them accordingly. But, yeah, uh, but- you know, simply impossible to have uh, imagined a better way of doing business over the last 10 years. That's the key word, isn't it? The problem is that there is no other way of doing business. The only way that the society we have now, as the tech sector, and I'm going to stop doing this false dichotomy, as the, the, as the executive class sees it, this is the only way this society works. Because if they lose control over even a small percentage of what it, of the massive uh, resources, money, people, literal resources, you know, software doesn't exist on nothing. You can't just run it on air. You have to run it in things that requires heavy metals. It requires cobalt. It requires gold sometimes, especially if you're into fake HDMI cables. It requires, you know, all of these things. They get to direct all this stuff. And if they lose control over any of that, if tomorrow, by some act, by some miracle, right, the the DRC suddenly says exports of cobalt are done, we're keeping it until you can pay a fair price for it, there goes the tech industry. It's over. It's done. If tomorrow tech workers at, at Google or Amazon or Meta suddenly decide, no, you know what, we're locking our bosses out of everything. They're done. We're, we're, we're taking over all of this. And they certainly have the technical knowledge to make that happen. If they did that, there's nothing they could do about it. What They're going to send the military and the police in, I would imagine. But at the end of that day, you're going to have to replace those people. They, there's <laughs> So to them, there is no alternative than this. Even imagining an alternative is, and and I hate to say this because it it seems like such a low standard thing, but in 2024, we have such small dreams. We don't talk about, you know, when Biden said that thing about, and folks, we're going to cure cancer, like he meant it. It actually personally offended me because that was a man clearly fighting for his life and the few working neurons he has left, making an incredibly cynical promise out of something that should be a goal of human society. But it's not. Not in the United States. The Cubans have a lung cancer vaccine because they give a damn. But this country doesn't. And 
until we we stop hitching our wagons to these very very low orbit stars we are going nowhere when we come back we're going to shift gears and talk a bit about some recent news uh from our benevolent billionaire overlords we'll be back you're listening to punching out on whale 104.3 you can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on itunes soundcloud and other podcast apps we are also on facebook and twitter at punching out whale now back to the show Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah and Lou. Hey, guys. On today's show, we've been discussing, um, as Noah alluded to, ZERP, the phenomenon whereby low interest rates have allowed venture capital to back all sorts of zany ideas from the tech industry with uh, very minimal results. But uh, that's over now, and we've probably squeeze the last bit of juice out of that topic hey got him very nice so we're gonna end this show with a little bit of uh, some news from the past week um headline here in the ap very self-explanatory amazon argues that national labor board is unconstitutional joining spacex and trader joe's the nlrb which if you're a punching out listener, you're probably very familiar with is the board that uh, under the National Labor Relations Act back in 1936-35. From that, it has overseen labor relations in this country. It has sort of governed, you know, what tactics are legal in a strike? What tactics are legal legal in breaking a strike? what can companies and their workers do in labor battles and what is off limits? What will get you a nominal fine from the government? Amazon says all of that is unconstitutional and they have friends in Trader Joe's and SpaceX owned by Elon Musk, who are also arguing the same. Quoting from this AP article, The Amazon filing made Thursday came in response to a case before an administrative law judge overseeing a complaint from agency prosecutors who alleged the company unlawfully retaliated against workers at a New York City warehouse who voted to unionize nearly two years ago. Amazon denies the charges made against them and then goes further, quote, arguing that the structure of the agency, particularly its limits on the removal of administrative law judges and five board members appointed by the president, violates the separation of powers and infringes on executive powers stipulated in the Constitution. This argument is almost certainly nonsense, but that doesn't mean it won't succeed because... I mean, have you... Have you read a Neil Gorsuch opinion? Because I have. It is troubling that this is the tact these companies are now taking. We've talked in episodes on Punching Out how the NORB under Biden has, you know, done Don't some think. real good in 
changing rules on how union elections are governed and actually enforcing labor law for a change. But now these companies are deciding that rather than abide by labor law, they would just as soon abolish it if they could. So to some extent, I think in some ways it's encouraging that they feel threatened enough to take such a step, but it's also bad that such a step might well succeed. Yeah, this is the the trouble that comes when you adopt the popular liberal take as of the past decade or so, and that the courts are going to save you. Uh, the courts are not going to save you. You need to actually back up with legislation anything that will actually support the policies that you want. Because um, the, the courts aren't a guarantee. And given how allergic to labor the current makeup is of the courts, um, not just Supreme Court, all of them, like, I'm not you know, completely thinking that this is the end, but... I'm not very optimistic either. Yeah. I mean, the problem, too, is that the NRB was legislatively established. That law is on the books. And Neil Gorsuch famously loves to say things like, if Congress wanted to festoon us with a law that allowed this or something, some other $8 word that you use when you want to impress people in Princeton tie colors... This time they did do that. That is exactly how it went down. And yet the chances are pretty good that if it gets in front of election thief John Roberts and his cadre of judicial contortionists, then we're going to end up with the one agency in the entire federal government that gives a damn about what workers need. Because the Department of Labor as a whole does not do that. The Department of Labor as a whole is not really ultimately interested in advocating for workers, it is as best a neutral arbiter between workers and companies. The NLRB is the only one that is there to sort of level the playing field. And with the courts that we have and the Congress that we have and the feckless, spineless Democrats that we have especially, if the NLRB does go down in flames, nothing is going to replace it. Joe Biden is not going to come out the next day and say he's appointing, you know, Jenna Bruzzo to do something else. He's not going to tell the Supreme Court to stuff that up its butt. He's going to abide by the law. He has signaled this all along. So the question becomes, how much are the union workers of America who have seen big gains when they collectivize and do things together, how far are they willing to go and how far are other American workers willing to go? Because that's the real question. Right now, there are multiple petitions to decertify Starbucks unions because uh, Starbucks has not come to the negotiating table in good faith. They have not negotiated a first contract, and there is ultimately no requirement that they do so. We can't compel them to by law. Ergo, new people who have come in and have been suborned by right-wing groups, or probably didn't need to be, this is the United States, have wanted to decertify the union because they see it correctly as having done nothing because the company isn't holding up its end of the bargain. We are in an era where there, there's no pretending 
that there is a dialogue anymore. There's yelling. And there are more of us than there are of them, and I don't know about you, but where I come from, that means we have more voices. There is another aspect to consider of this, which is that for all that the NORB is capable of doing in checking corporate power and ensuring that union elections are you know, at least modestly fair and uh, on a level playing field, they do also place restrictions on what unions are able to do. The NORB and the National Labor Relations Act is what enforces, say, sympathy strikes being illegal and the idea that you can go on strike in solidarity with another union in a different industry. That a tactic which we've seen affect Elon Musk's companies in uh, Scandinavia, where they're unable to get license plates mailed for Teslas because the postal union, in solidarity with the auto manufacturers union, simply won't do work for Tesla. And so that's like a powerful tactic that the National Labor Relations Act and perhaps it was its updated version in the Taft-Hartley Act, you know, under those laws, that tactic is banned in the United States. That is, you know, against the rules that the NORB enforces. If the NORB were to go by the wayside, suddenly things look a lot more like they did in the 1920s and 30s when unions saw a great deal of success not all of it legal, strictly speaking, but nevertheless, some incredible growth for collective power among workers at a time when their very ability to go on strike was not written in federal law. And so maybe we can end this episode on that hopeful note that, um, you know, try as they might to crush collective power solidarity finds a way for this week i'm ryan i was noah and this was punching out you've been listening to punching out you can find us on facebook and on twitter at punching out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.